the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hyundai's most electric EV lineup changes the way you look and feel about EVs, specifically Hyundai EVs. Hyundai's EV lineup has everything you've been yearning for in your next EV, boldly captivating your senses. Ultra-fast charging in the Ionic 5 and Ionic 6 from 10 to 80% in as little as 18 minutes using a 350-kilowatt, 800-volt DC ultra-fast charger. That gets you back on the road quick. It's a fun-to-drive lineup. Its tech is infused with standard safety features like the highway driving assist and blind spot collision warning. Plus, you get America's best warranty with a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited electric battery warranty. Learn more about Hyundai EVs at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. America's best warranty claim based on total package of warranty programs. See dealer for limited warranty details. See your Hyundai dealer for further details and limitations. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash the like, come join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Everybody rocking, rolling, setting up their elaborate web of ticket purchasing, ticket transfers, smartphones, data collection. It's it's just it's just what's hot these days. Yes, we will be getting to the latest on the Michigan sign stealing scandal. We will be getting to Lincoln Riley under the weather. We hope you feel better, Lincoln. But also, what does this mean for USC's efforts to rebound from a two game losing streak? And like we do every single Wednesday, big game breakdown going inside the matchup. Where you want to look? The, the places where the game will be decided for Georgia, Florida. Oregon, Utah, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and so much more. But I I think that we at least needed to give um, a little bit of space here because we didn't, you know, this, the story breaks on Friday. You know, Bud was able to get you with a short. You no, know, I think that we talked about it a little bit on Monday. But as, as the reporting has sort of expanded uh, our knowledge of what exactly uh, analyst Connor Stallions was putting together, which, again, hilarious, I amazing job by the script writers. The fact that the center of this is a former military man named Connor Stallions, but latest reporting indicates that not only did Connor Stallions purchase tickets to 12 other big 10 schools, but also tickets for four schools outside of the big 10 who were identified either as playoff contenders or playoff contenders were playing in that game. There's also a record of Stallions buying tickets to the 2021 and 2022 sec title games. Shout out to Kirby smart, who says, I don't know if anything came of that. 
paraphrasing here, but um, a great response right there. Also, in total, 35 games, 17 stadiums. ESPN reporting that the NCAA has been sent a video of evidence of a person sitting in a seat associated with a ticket that Stallions purchased, appearing to use a smartphone to take video of the sideline. And that is where I think we jumped from this is funny, everyone does it, to at least creating... Uh, a call for the NCAA for the Big Ten, which also has some punishment power to to get involved in this scandal. Because if you are sending an analyst to another game and then using a cell phone video, we have no longer gotten to the realm of if you could do it in 1975, then you know it's fair game now. We have used advanced technologies to be able to put this all together. Now we will get to what the Big Ten can do, what the NCAA can do, whether any of it will matter. But Danny, do you think it's too far? Do you think this is too elaborate? Like as it has escalated, it certainly has become more technologically elaborate and the web, you know, is is much bigger than I think the initial oh, you know, he's he's just great at decoding signals. He's watching tape and and he's cracking the code. I do. Um, there's always been gamesmanship involved, you know, hey, let's try to figure this out. I think this crosses a line that is very serious, and I think it should be taken seriously. And I think that someone needs to step up, whether it's Tony Petiti with the Big Ten, Charlie Baker with the NCAA, after we get the investigation done and complete. Like, what more do you need? But I do. I think this is serious. I think this crosses a line more so than what most schools do. Now, in saying that, I've had two people who work as broadcasters who sit next to head coaches who coached in the last five years, and both of them – their opinion is everybody's doing this and they sit next to head coaches. Now I've been out of the game a long time, so maybe it's changed. And with all the technologies that are disposal, everyone's trying to do it. But I, and I think it's very, very similar to what happened with Houston Astros. Like they weren't the only team that was doing that in baseball. They took it to a level where it was working and they also got busted. So they got made an example of, I have a hunch. That's probably what's going to happen with Michigan. Do you know why we don't hear other coaches calling out Michigan for this? <laughs> Outside of Greg Schiano's very vague halftime interview on the Big Ten Network when he said, there's some stuff going on, some stuff that's not right. Which, I uh, honestly, I think might have been about uh, Michigan's clapping to try to get try to get them to false start. Like I, I initially mm-hmm. thought that might have been about sign stealing, but now, now I think it might not have been. Disconcerting signals. Yeah. The reason why you don't see coaches calling out Michigan for this is the same reason why you hear coaches just kind of blanket complaining about tampering, but never actually calling anybody out for it. It's because they know they do it themselves, right? And it's glass houses. And so they can just do a general complaint about it. But I agree with Danny. Like, I've, I've talked to coaches on this. I do not think that other teams are so just kind of rogue with it and like just sloppy with how Michigan's guy did this. But I absolutely think that other teams are sending people into parking garages with video cameras to spy on practice. I absolutely think other teams bribe trainers and like student managers for injury info earlier in the week. I, I, I think they try to hack each other's Exos, which is the, the video platform that they're on. I completely think that like coaches who have grudges against other coaches who might have fired him will go to another school the, the next week that they, they know that opponent's going to play and tell them exactly what they do to get back at the guy and let him go. Uh, guys, like, I'm not saying the game is rigged. I don't believe it's rigged. 
but I think it's a lot dirtier. The difference here to me is that Michigan got caught, and now we'll see what kind of punishment they get. Every team calls their plays with placards on the sidelines that have a bunch of stupid-looking symbols and cartoons and whatnot on them, and every team puts a curtain around those on the sideline. Why are they doing that? Because they know that, like them, every single team is trying to steal or decipher the signals of the team that they're playing so they can get some kind of advantage on the field. I do think that Michigan went a little too far with this. I don't even even want to say too far. I think a little too stupid with this one, the way that this operation was going. But Chip, I will will disagree with the uh, assertion that cell phones are advanced technology. I'm pretty sure everybody in the stadium has one. I think if Michigan were using a satellite to get these images, I would go with advanced technology. I would say advanced technology, like if if he is getting all of the video and if he has some kind of software that can quickly decode, you know, all of the signals that are there. I mean, the thing that makes this awesome, in, in my opinion, is that we have a program in Michigan that has always had a little bit of a we do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And now you're just being exposed with the exact opposite. I experienced that with North Carolina and the academic scandal. I mean, no one says the Carolina way anymore after all that went down. Then the other side is that there are so many passionate rival fan bases. I mean, multiple schools that are doing everything they can. I mean, have y'all seen them Zapruder all the different film and like zoom in even closer and they've got stallions right behind the coordinator and they zoom in on the little play card that he's got and it's not football plays on it. It is the silhouettes of hand signals grouped in different categories so that he's sitting behind a coordinator looking at the signals, looking at his card and telling them what to do and then they the defensive coordinator signals it into the team. The fact that all of that can be uncovered by these absolutely passionate fan bases has made this a bigger deal um, within the college football conversation than it is within the coaches right now. The internet sleuths are the best. It's incredible. I mean, how about the one from the Tennessee site that had this like in January and December that was out there saying, I heard there's a Michigan coach that's Mm -hmm. not allowed to talk to Harbaugh. I mean, that's pretty wild to Tom's point about the coaches uh, and the placards and the curtains so I was in Columbus, and it blew me away. Like, you watch it on TV, and you see the thing unravel, and you're like, eh, like, whatever. Like, you're just like, that's part of the game. I had not, and I've been used to, you know, usually it's the backup quarterbacks. Like, you'll have the second, third, and fourth-string quarterback, and they're all there doing their little, you know, signs and everything. And I've been used to that. But I would am not used to is there were four, maybe five, assistant coaches, and it's crazy how they copy each other's things because – they're all wearing like brightly colored yellow, orange, neon, blue, like these different four colors. So I, I put a video on because I was so blown away by it. And they're all furiously giving their signals. And then there's a player, now the player, the poor backup quarterbacks, they don't do anything. They have to hold up the placard above them. And then so I quickly turn to the other sideline. And guess what? Penn State's defensive coaches, same thing. Blue shirt, yellow shirt, green shirt. And they're furiously doing all these signals as well. And all I kept thinking was, what a massive waste of time, energy, and resources. And thankfully, I did see Matt Rule call this out, and good for him. Now he didn't call out the, you know, but he called out the coaches who vote against the technology, the radio, you know, the comms and the helmets. He said, "We just need to go there." And I do think it's pretty interesting that this bowl season, outside of the playoffs, 
they will actually be able to use communication, coach to quarterback communication, which would solve all of these problems. Like I, so like I think we're going to get that sooner rather than later, which would be a great thing. But it's such a massive waste of time. And just another, like I used to, as a player, you're not super involved with this. Like, and I was more worried about calling plays. Going back to Coach Bowden, but I'll remember this. Pensacola Street used to, there used to be a road, right? That road, like it was kind of elevated and it would go by the practice fields and it ran right between the stadium and the practice fields. And there would be people jogging, you know, it'd be some good looking girls. So you kind of get a little distracted sometimes and occasionally they'd stop and watch. And Coach Bowden never coached at practice. He stood up in the tower. It's like a three or four and he just watched practice. But the times you heard him talk, there were two times. One, if there was like a trick play, he'd get on his bullhorn and be like, all right, let's run this a little differently. The other time, he would call down to security and he would notice somebody standing watching practice. And he would say, no, 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 have him move. Like, let's go. And Coach Bowden was the nicest guy ever. He was paranoid about it. When I went to the NFL, Dan Reeves, we used to have practice in the bubble. It was glorious outside, seven degrees, you know, sunny. And I'm like, why are we going in the bubble? And everybody's like, Dan's paranoid. He's worried they're going to steal our signals because there was a hotel across the street that was like 10 stories that they could video. He's like, oh, we're playing the Cowboys. He knows they're going to try to steal signals, whatever team it was. And I used to think, man, these coaches are so paranoid. Now I totally get it because I think it's been happening like we're talking about. It's been happening forever. It's just the latest team that I think is going to get made an example of. And I say good. Like, let's get it cleaned up as much as possible. Last thing, I'm yapping too much. Just like the Astros, it's still really hard to hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, even if you know it's coming. Even if you know you have a man coverage, it's still hard to do it, but it definitely gives you an edge. The There's a play in the Kentucky-Georgia game where Georgia has their massive like white sheet on poles up now. And Georgia gets the first down pretty clearly. You, you, you can sort of infer it. But I couldn't see it. I do think at a certain point it becomes sort of a fairness issue if this like the size of the of the things that you're holding up to block up people from seeing your signs inhibits the TV broadcast, that's where we may get pushed to to have radio communication in the helmet. Because if ESPN or CBS or Fox is like, hey, this is blocking our broadcast shot, which makes for a bad TV product, which these networks run the sport. The conferences might think they run the sport, the networks run the sport. If if that if these get bigger as more of a precaution, like we saw in Kentucky, Georgia, I think the network should be like, hey, how much are we paying you guys? You really can't get radio comms in the helmet for the quarterback and the Mike linebacker? Well, that's where the breakaway comes. Like, there's an easy off-ramp to this conversation, which is yeah. like, well, when they get rid of the NCAA and college football is only the big dogs, then guess what? Advanced in-person scouting is not going to be a violation of a rule that was put in in 1994 because the small schools were tired of getting out-scouted. And then you're going to have in-person helmet comm because no one's going to say, we can't afford it because you're just in an entirely different world that is only the big dogs. Like, that to me does seem like a sensible future that we might be three, four, five, six, however many years away from but it doesn't, you know, it still brings us back to the present where it does appear that there is evidence that Michigan has violated an NCAA rule on mm -hmm. top of uh, other NCAA, act, other active NCAA violations of which Jim Harbaugh has already self-imposed uh, a ban for the start of this season. There is say, also, in, go ahead. Oops, sorry. I was, in the meantime, my prediction is what you're going to see is like the Big Ten and SEC helmet communication will be allowed for conference games. Non-conference games from the other smaller schools that don't want to pay for it, they will have to go back to the old school signals. But you will see within the next year or two, conference games will have direct coach to quarterback communication. That'd be you don't great. Think they'll let everybody go. 
I because I don't think it's that expensive. I mean, it's you guys not. Kind of, will you let everybody go? It's the other schools don't want to pay for it. Most of these athletic departments are already operating at a loss. I think it's probably ten thousand to have four out four helmets max, like outfitted with the technology. I mean, I the the technology we're using, webcams, speakers, microphones, like I get, and somebody put in here, they could be easily be hacked. Then you can choose if you want to spend a little bit more. You can. If you, and I'm not worried about getting hacked. It was pretty crazy. When I was in Denver, occasionally they have a problem with some interference, and you hear like this Mexican polka station. Like whenever the (laughs) microphone came on, I'm assuming the technology again has gotten better. But yeah, you could hear Mike Shanahan, you know, giving the play call in the background. Like. I, I was, you could hack the frequency, but there's a big difference between being able to hack the frequency and then relay that information to the field in time. So right. I would also say another aspect of this story that I think is going to lead to problems is that the coverage it's getting, like Chip, you mentioned, like the message board sleuthing and the reaction everybody has to it because it is Michigan and it is a scandal and all this kind of stuff people are going to be very disappointed by the quote unquote punishments that come from this, because the fact is nothing is going to happen to Michigan this year. There is not going to be any court of ban or vacated wins for Michigan this season. There will not be a decision on any of this until after the year. And when there is a decision, it's really not going to be as bad as some people think. Like we talked about it before the show, Kansas was just a part of an FBI investigation that resulted in somebody going to prison. What happened to the program? Oh, they won a national championship. Yeah, nothing. There was no on-court punishments. I really don't think whatever comes of this for Michigan is going to be very punitive, and it is just going to lead to a lot of people being like, oh, my God, they let them get away with it. They let them get away with it. I can't believe it. But it was the same thing with the Patriots. It was the same thing with the Astros. You can't – there's – there's not enough evidence. This is not an FBI or a police investigation. It's the NCAA. There's, so there's a lot of problems with the punishment thought, right? One, what is the prescribed penalty? I don't really see one because I'm not really sure that the rule contemplated this in, in the way that it went down. The NCAA moves really slowly. So I'm pretty confident, not 100%, nothing's ever 100% with, with the NCAA. Pretty confident the NCAA won't do anything to, to Michigan this year. If they tried to, Michigan would sue them and tie this up in the courts well after the national title. Listen, even with appeal, like they could t- like yeah. there there are still so many steps down the line for this to unfurl. There's no in my opinion, there is no way we see the NCAA issue anything and the the what you could put together is to bundle all of these violations into one big case and you hit Jim Harbaugh with a you know failure to monitor or lead an atmosphere of compliance. I think Michigan probably has this set. I'm just, just guessing that Michigan probably has this set up so that when Jim Harbaugh can deny knowledge, he probably can deny knowledge. Like they probably are not going to be able to prove it. They're only going to hit him with those new NCAA rules that can punish you. And guess what? Congratulations. He's now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Like, the Chargers. Yeah. yeah I, the Chargers. I, now, I do think that there is a, a something that probably, in my opinion, will happen to Michigan this year. And that's that Tony Petiti, the, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, he is not going to want a snitch war going on between his top programs, right? And I'm not saying Ohio State or Penn State or whoever is snitching, but like clearly 
they are not happy with this. If you look at some of the precautions that Ohio State has taken within their program, they're kind of paranoid about this thing, and maybe they should be, right, based on, on what we've seen. If you're Petiti, don't you try to nip this in the bud and go to Michigan? And it's kind of like, you ever get in trouble in school and your mom or dad talks to you and like, hey, I got called in the principal's office here. I need to know what happened, okay? So I don't look like an idiot when I go in there and say, hey, bud just did this, you know, whatever. And then they're like, no, he actually did this, 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 and this too. So Michigan, I need you to come clean with me if I'm Tony Petiti. What exactly do you guys think was going on? Let's get on the same page here. I need to issue you a punishment that the public will accept, right? Maybe that's the coordinator that we've seen you standing next to with what was either signs for the opponent or instructions on how to do the YMCA, take your pick, <laughs> right? Like the, the guy standing next to you and you talking to him the whole time, maybe the coordinator, maybe he needs to sit a game or two. Like I need a little pound of flesh here to keep people happy that we're actually doing something. And I don't want this snitch war going on all the way for the rest of the season and have it be a storyline through, through the playoffs, right? Let's get this thing done, but I need you to be honest with me. Like, is there more stuff coming? Did you, were you guys doing other types of electronic surveillance? That like, well, that is that stuff true? Is that stuff going to come out? Like, I need to know just how widespread this was. We're clearly going to sacrifice stallions. I probably need to suspend a coordinator for a game or two. That's what I would do if I was the Big Ten. And if you're Michigan, you probably should get on board with that. That those are the tools that the Big Ten has, and and the, you know that's. That's what we're looking at. No NCAA punishment is going to come. And I will say, this enforcement from the NCAA, kind of vengeful, right? I mean, just think about the way they treated it. They, I thought we had an agreed-upon suspension plan. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to take it all the way to the end. Or, you know, the the statements in the Tez Walker situation. I mean, they're, you know, got a little nasty edge to them. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to, you know, beef up whatever they can do but I don't think any of it will impact death rattle. I, I, I don't think any of it will impact um, the way it, how about this? It's not, it doesn't impact the way I look at Michigan football. All right. We get paid to talk about college football and talk about these teams. Doesn't change the way that I think about it. We talk about this because it's a big part of the conversation and there will be some fallout. I don't think any of it will impact significantly Michigan's efforts to do what it appears to be on track to do, which is playing for a national championship in late November, early December, and New Year's Day. So Kevin Smith in the chat says, maybe the assistant or coordinator needs to sit a game or two. Bruh, that's such a slap on the wrist. It's insulting. That's what I think they're going to get, a slap on the wrist. I think it's sort of a tacit acknowledgement that other teams are doing this. Michigan, you were just so dumb in how you did it. You used your own freaking name to buy tickets on both sides of the stadium. <laughs> this is this is the under-discussed part of the story. And you got paid back on Venmo. Guys, it's the, the, the public it's burner phone, right? It's <laughs> but has got a burner just sitting there for no reason. Well, I shot a video earlier, so I, I, it's it's prepaid debit cards. Okay, <laughs> what are you doing with this Venmo? Uh, um, uh, just the biggest the biggest takeaway from this story that nobody has discussed is the fact that it is clear the academic standards to be an assistant on Michigan staff are much lower than it is to be a player on the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. Like the way that he executed this is so dumb that it really helps Harbaugh's plausible deniability claim. Agree. Mm -hmm. Harbaugh, it could easily be like, there's no way in hell me, Jim Harbaugh, who makes 10 or $12 million a year, would have this be the way this scheme is executed. Are you kidding me? Like, 
Unless that's just genius. He's like, do it Billy, so dumb. Billy in the talk. chat said, watch the SEC shorts video is pretty good where they, they did a little spoof of this. It's worth the watch if you go check it out. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see. I I, just, I felt like it. You know, we needed needed to uh, give it give it a little bit of time. Uh, one other thing before we hit the break, uh, Lincoln Riley has uh, fallen under the weather. He missed his second straight day of practice on Tuesday because of an undisclosed illness. Dennis Simmons, who you know has has stepped in for him um, and been with him all the way back to Oklahoma, uh, has coached. You know, uh, in his place, serving as as the acting head coach, uh, USC will be at Cal this weekend. The Trojans on a two game losing streak. Not, I hope he, I hope you get better, Lincoln. But we have talked. I mean, like we have used a quote here on the Cover Three podcast. You wonder what's happening during the week of practice because the team looks disorganized when they go out there on Saturdays. Uh, any reason for concern? Or are we just hoping that uh, that that Riley gets better and and we'll be back? Uh, get back on the sideline. I poked around on this a little bit, and this—I don't. This is not like official reporting, but I asked people who I think would know, and they said this is not some sort of fake illness. There is like like a real bug going around USC and people around USC and and kind of around in LA. Like it's not a one-off. Other guys are also like laid up, you know, bed rest type thing. So. Yeah, like yeah, I, describe- I don't, I don't want our saying that like weird yeah. stuff's going on inside the program, or at least they play like something ain't right within the program, to be misconstrued with making like, like I, I think he probably, based on everything I was told last night and this morning, he's actually sick. Yeah, and if they do have the flu bug running through the program, I mean, do you think if Lincoln Riley's not at practice, they work on defense and special teams? <laughs> did, <laughs> they might be did better. You the, did you see the Grinch thing? Uh-huh. Yes, it wasn't on tape, but. How could we know it was coming? So Grinch is like, yeah, they hit us with that wheel route. They hadn't shown it on tape. Incorrect. They they did it literally last game. And then he's like, yeah, the quarterback's legs weren't really something we saw on tape. Kid ran for, for 50 four. yards last week. <laughs> like, just... I, I, I'll say I this. no idea. Like, you, YouTube exists. Memo we didn't Alex know Grinch. teams ran wheel routes. We had no, we had no clue. <laughs> You um, never see like a slant out and wheel combination together on any offense. It was just completely new. <laughs> the only people that really matters, who knows? Obviously, you hope the best for Lincoln Riley if this is serious. It has to be serious. I mean, coaches don't miss practice. We had Hugh Freeze coach mm-hmm. from a hospital bed. We had Deion Sanders delaying amputation for, for so he didn't miss, you know, game like it's a big deal. Like, I think that it better be a serious illness. Here's who it matters to the players. Like, if they don't think Lincoln is sick or not showing up, that's what matters the most. And if they do know he's sick and they're concerned about him, then that's what matters most. You know, so we'll find out over time. I just I hope he's okay. Cause this to me is one of those like, holy cow, he must be really, really, really sick to miss two days of practice. Cliff Kingsbury really does kind of have like substitute teacher energy though. Like I could just see him showing up to practice in like jeans and a t-shirt and like sitting on the edge of the desk. Like, all right, kids, I'm Mr. Kingsbury, but you can call me Cliff. And today we're going to watch movies. Yeah. I was going to say, all right, we're going to do this worksheet. And then if everybody gets it done, I'll wheel the card in here and we can watch movies for the rest of class. It's got serious Mark Harmon. What movie was that when he was the teacher? Oh. And he was hot, and the girl liked him. Like that's what it is. He was the former football player too, I think. Mm-hmm. UCLA yeah. quarterback. Summer school, wasn't it? Summer school. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You, yeah. You find your wife watching Texas Tech games. Like, vibes, babe. That's a couple coaches ago. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the other side, 
every single Wednesday, we go into some of the biggest matchups of the weekend. We'll do big game breakdown and more next. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Saturday on CBS, a full day of college football kicks off with the Big Ten action between Indiana and tenth-ranked Penn State. Then at 3.30, the SEC on CBS features number one Georgia facing Florida. That's all coming up this Saturday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. That scene in Jacksonville, it's cool. I've, I, I think that um, not the throw, I don't go full throw out the record books with this, but it is rare that we get a true no-show from these two teams, these two programs, when it goes into this rivalry. I, I, I'm i I'm always excited for this one, no matter where the, the teams are in their pr- respective seasons. Obviously, Georgia number one in the country, Florida unranked. I, I, I expect that this will be um, one of the stronger efforts from the Gators. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Better be. I mean, you're you're coming off a bye week. You, you should be should be max health. We're, we're going to find out just how good Florida is, right? The South Carolina and Tennessee wins look a little bit worse after last weekend. You know, Tennessee collapsed against Alabama, and South Carolina was handled easily by Missouri. So, sorry, the the, the private chat's just just going nuts here. <laughs> um, sometimes the jokes are too good. Florida has looked pretty competent to me, though, in, in recent weeks, especially on offense. They have Graham Mertz playing well. It, it's it's a low depth of target, so he's not chucking the ball downfield a whole lot, but that's not particularly surprising. They, they try to get the run game going more. I, I wonder how well they can run it on Georgia because Georgia so far this year has been pretty damn good in coverage. You know, all, We talked about it after the Auburn game. Auburn needed to find a way to hit one shot play on them, and they got zero. You know, Kentucky – really until the thing was late, didn't hit a whole lot on them. Georgia's been great in coverage. Can Florida run it on Georgia enough to, to maybe open up some play-action stuff? I, I guess we'll see. Otherwise, it it could just be sort of boa constrictor. 
What stands out, Danny? What stands out about this one? Where are you looking at the at the game? So it's interesting because you mentioned you know Florida. Did they try to run it on it? Uh, the the Graham Mertz short controlled passing game has really worked pretty well. Um, you know, I almost wonder if you if you come out with play action pass on first down. You know, because I do think if you try to run it on them, as good as ETN has been, I think that could be a futile effort. Georgia, for as great as they've been over the past few years defensively, and they're still. You're still only giving up 14 points a game. Like it's not like they're just trash all of a sudden. They're not going to mix them up for USC. But, they're not getting as much pressure. You know, like they're they only have 12 sacks on the year. Um, their pressure rate 30.3 percent of the times, 87th in the country. Like so, I would think you could maybe have some success. I mean, uh, that the other teams. I know Auburn ran it with their quarterbacks, but Spencer Rattler threw it pretty well against Georgia's secondary. Um. I don't know. I, we gave our picks yesterday, and my my synopsis was: if you get the two best versions of these teams, I think Georgia runs away with it and covers. You know, wins and covers. But like, what confidence level do I have? It really, we saw it against Kentucky, and Devin Leary is not the same quarterback that Graham Mertz is. Totally different offense. Speaking of you know trying to run the ball, that didn't work out well. Um, and then Carson Beck, like quietly, like it's very uncharacteristic what Georgia has been this year. Because, you know, averaging, you know, 337 yards a game through the air, it's the most since 1994. Was that Eric Zaire who would have been there? Like, this is, this is, like, it goes back that far. It's quite, it's crazy. And like, they're throwing it a lot. And I know a lot of that was to Brock Bowers, but I think the best thing you've got going is Carson Beck playing with confidence. And I totally agree. Like, it is a, what are we going to get without Brock Bowers? But he's a pretty seasoned quarterback. Like, he's not a first year, you know, they usually get four or five games, you're kind of into it. I think he'll be able to throw the ball well too. So I think it's gonna be a really interesting matchup. I don't know. That's like a cop out, but I want to give picks tomorrow. <laughs> Are you gonna? You got a lock on this game? You already dialed Maybe. in one. Maybe. All right. I've got one. <clears throat> um. Yeah. I. It's been weird this year because I've been trying to figure out as I watch Georgia. Am I mostly underwhelmed with their front seven because I'm comparing it to the teams we've seen the last few years? Or is it just that this front seven really isn't that good? And I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that it's just not that good. Like, it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's above average. It's But I feel like when I watch it, I don't think it's outstanding. And frankly, in this matchup, I'm not sure Georgia has the best front seven. Like, I think there's a strong argument to make that Florida's defense up front has been better. I think the biggest difference is, Bud, you mentioned it. Their second, Georgia's secondary is really good. It is very difficult to move the ball through the air on this one. But, like, other than Chambliss and Brinson, I'm not super enthusiastic about anybody I've seen. I think there's good news in that Jamon Dumas Johnson, I thought, got off to a really slow start this year, but he's kind of picked it up in the last few weeks. And I think that's good for Georgia's defense because I think the more he can do, the better they are. But when I look at Florida, like I look at Princely, Uman, Milan, Tyreek Sapp, I think those guys are really good. And I think they might start for Georgia. So I think that's an interesting spot. Another thing in this matchup, both of these defenses, which I think speaks further to their front sevens, have really struggled in the red zone. Like you, if you can get inside the 20 on these teams, you're scoring points most of the time and not just field goals. Like you're reaching the end zone. So I think that's something to keep an eye on for this matchup as far as whether or not Georgia can cover the spread. Because if Florida is able to move the ball effectively, and I think they can on the ground, 
then this could be a much closer battle than we thought. And I think something else that's going to stand out too, going back to the Georgia secondary, like Ricky Pearsall leads Florida in receiving. He's got the most catches. He's got the most yards. I think he's got the most touchdowns too. I don't think he's the most important player in Florida's passing attack for this game. I think it's going to be Eugene Wilson, Trey Wilson. I think he needs to have a big game for the Gators against this secondary for Florida to have a realistic shot of winning this game. Cause I do think they'll be able to run the ball effectively. If not, you know, elite, I do think Pearsall will be okay, but I think Wilson needs to step up and be like that kind of X factor against this secondary. Cause like they are good. Lassiter, Smith, Bullard, Starks is probably the best safety in the country right now. It's going to be difficult, but I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I, I'm less sold on Florida's front seven than Tom is. I, I I like their guys on the interior, but Leggett got hurt for South Carolina against the Gators. And South Carolina still scored 39 mm-hmm. and made it a game. And there were a lot of plays in, in which Rattler had a clean pocket, despite I think a knowable that we have in the SEC this year is that that Gamecock offensive line is hot garbage, mostly due to injury. And an inability to get good guys in the portal. It, I do take something away from Florida's inability to get pressure on Rattler, you know. And I wonder if they can get pressure because isn't Amarius Mims scheduled to be back right about now? Their their stud NFL left tackle who had the ankle thing. Uh, this this would be about the timeline for the goal for him to be back. I I like their interior, but man, I don't know if Sap is a a big time guy like that. He he might be, but I, I kind of wonder if some of his success is due to playing some some subpar competition by SEC standards. We'll we'll find out. I'm, I'm not saying they suck. I just I don't know. I'm not sold quite yet. Latest update on Mims. Uh, a lot of rehab, a lot of maintenance. Able to do some different things. Mims and Truss. Truss left the Vanderbilt game with an ankle sprain. Still no official word. Just got to see how they go through practice. But they are. Chad Hall says Mims has been practicing this week. Yeah. Yeah. He's been clear to come back to practice. So it it would seem as though he's on pace to do that. Okay. Acknowledging that Kentucky punked Florida at Kroger Field earlier this season. Is Florida the best team that Georgia has played? Like the head to head result says Kentucky is better than Florida, but in a vacuum. Kentucky's not better. Like, um, I think Florida's a better team than Kentucky. Again, I, I understand that on that Saturday, the Wildcats absolutely dog-walked them, but I, I think that this is probably the toughest challenge that Georgia has had this year. Until they play Mizzou. Because it's a neutral site. This is a tougher game. It's not a tougher opponent, I think. Florida neutral, tougher than Auburn road. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Auburn doesn't really score. Right. Um, again, this is this is going to be the beginning of the run. You you play Florida, you play Missouri, you play Ole Miss, you play Tennessee, and you do it back to back to back to back. This backloaded schedule has allowed Georgia to just continue to figure itself out in a lot of different ways. But you know, here we go, Georgia and its run at history. Again, no three peats in college football in the modern era. Last time was Minnesota before World War II. Uh, all that's going to be on the line right now because I do, I'm not sure if this is going to be a team that finishes with great strength of schedule numbers. I'm not sure if this is going to be a team that is going to be able to do uh, mess around a lot here as we come down the stretch of the season. So be sure to check. Yep, bud. If you did not get 
Carson Beck at 200 to 1, like I gave out on the show two weeks ago, this is probably your last chance to get a good price on him, like today. If you wait until Monday and Georgia covers the spread, which is 14, 14 and a half, he's going to go from, like, what's the best price you can get on Beck now? Like 50 to 1 at uh, one book. I, I know uh, FanDuel's got him probably around there. At, I mean, if we are covered, wide open season. Like, whether you want to yeah. grab J.J. McCarthy, whether you think Jaden Daniels has that Robert Griffin, Johnny Manziel path, or like, yeah, you got a couple losses, but statistically you were elite. Uh, Carson Beck has the best team, best player. Like, there's a lot of different roads that can all lead to a Heisman Trophy win right now. Just look at who has the easiest November schedule. You'll find your winner there. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Brooks. You got two marquee games left, right, for Beck. This one? I guess at Ole Miss, probably going to be a primetime game, right? Because Ole Miss only has one loss. And then I thought Ole Miss was home Tennessee. Oh, sorry. Right. And then Tennessee Road. Georgia's going to be double digit favorites in all three of those games. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If you want Carson for the Heisman, I wouldn't wait. Again, you can watch it. CBS, you can stream it, Paramount Plus, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's part of a doubleheader. Penn State trying to get back, get right after that 2012 loss against the Buckeyes. They'll be doing it with Indiana in town. Midday, Salt Lake City, Rice-Eccles Stadium, the pig farmer returns. Now he's going to be facing a little bit of a tougher defense. Oregon going into Utah. The Ducks are six-and-a-half-point road favorites. Over under around forty eight or so. Uh, Tom, what's where do you start picking this game apart in terms of the the matchup between Oregon and Utah? First, I want to make an amendment. I realized I said that I think Florida's front seven is better than Georgia's. I didn't mean that. I meant I think Sap and what's his name could start for Georgia. I don't think the entire front seven is better. Um, as you're already this, clipping it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm it's, sure but as long as it's on the record and our listeners know. Um, this to me, like <laughs> Utah's not going to have the same offensive performance it had against USC, right? Like it's nice. facing a much better defense this week. So it's going to be, can Utah, like to me, this matchup is going to come down to Utah more than anything and how Utah performs. Cause I think Oregon's going to go out there and do what Oregon does. I think they're going to be fine, but can Utah force negative plays in this game on defense? Because if you look, it's an interesting matchup in that the Utes rank third nationally in negative plays forced at 41.9%. Oregon's third nationally on offense as far as negative play rate at only 20.3%. So that's going to be a very interesting matchup between Utah's front and Oregon's offensive line. And we have seen all year long, Oregon's offensive line is very good in the run game. They open up lanes, they create room. And then in the passing game, Oregon and Bo Nix get the ball out really quickly. So it is hard to force those negative plays. And Utah's defense is very reliant on them. Because if you look further into the numbers, like they're not great once you get past the line of scrimmage. You can really run the ball pretty well against this Utah team, particularly on the interior where their defensive line, to me, meh. Oregon's offensive line on the interior, eh, very good. So, like, can Utah stop Bucky Irving? Utah ranks 51st in defensive success rate against the run. And Oregon really does a great job of running in the A-gaps, which, again, is where Utah struggles to stop the run and get, you know, stuff. So Bucky Irving should have a pretty big game in this one. And I think that, like, 
what's his name? Oh, Johnny Cornelius, their right tackle. The most fun matchup for me is going to be Cornelius, Oregon's right tackle against Utah's Jonah Ellis, who is an absolute stud for them on the edge. They're going to put him on the right because I think they're going to, that's where he normally lines up. Maybe they move him to the left because they feel that Oregon's left tackle is a bit more vulnerable, but he's going to have to have a huge day for the Utes if they are going to slow this Oregon offense down and be able to keep themselves in the game because no disrespect to the pig farmer, Bryson Barnes, who had the great game and hopefully Oregon was able to see that he could run the ball on tape this week. But I just don't think what we saw last week against USC is a true indication of what this Utah offense is. I still think this is a pretty limited offense that against an Oregon defense, which I think is pretty good, they're going to struggle to move the ball effectively. They need to keep this low scoring. They need to keep this rock fighty. But what works to their benefit is this game is at home. So they'll have that they'll have that advantage behind them. They'll have the crowd behind them. It will make things difficult for Oregon because as we saw, like Oregon kind of struggled at times with the crowd noise in Seattle. They could have a very similar situation in Salt Lake City. So that's going to be something they need to take advantage of. And they're going to have to force turnovers, but that's the other problem too. Oregon doesn't turn the ball over. So the more I look at this game, it's like I don't think Utah doesn't have a shot to win because they're at home and they're very, 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 very good at home. I just don't think this is a good matchup for the Utes at all. How much signal can we derive from the last two games that Utah's offense has played? Right? Like to me, that's the key question we have to ask here because they have played Cal defense, which has just been collapsing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They have played USC, which isn't collapsing because you'd have to start somewhere to collapse from, and they just haven't played any defense all year. Oregon, are they getting the guys back who they held out last week against Washington State, the guys who got hurt in the Washington game? Because if they're not, I I could see this being a game. If they get them back, I think they can play some pretty aggressive coverage. And then in that case, I think Utah's offense probably looks a lot more like it looked against Florida. Baylor and UCLA. And to Tom's point, like, yeah, they don't really turn it over. Nix is like Nix is about to set the record, I think, for the most games started in the history of college football. Like that's a veteran dude. He's old. He probably has a 401k. <laughs> it's not that Utah can't go out and take it because they can, but there have been situations this year where they feasted on opponents who made really dumb mistakes. You know, Dante Moore throwing the pick six literally to open the game. Mm-hmm. Florida committing a million false starts offsides and too many men on the field in critical situations. I, but man, like this is what a seven point spread, six and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah is for my money, the biggest home field advantage in college football. doesn't mean the loudest crowd, but like it play the number plays to it. That that's saying that Oregon is like a 10 point better team on a neutral site. That's a lot of respect for Oregon. Like Utah is a good team. It just, I don't know. It may be the end of the road. Tom might be right for the, really might be right on this well success rate looks great when you're eight yards a play right yeah. i mean that's like the and you know when it's not moving through the air when you've got bucky irving jordan james like they they got a lot of things moving in the right directions i understand why the power rating on the ducks is going to be you know definitely among the higher in the probably higher than a lot of people would realize compared to where they sit in the ap poll Boy, this is a lot of disrespect towards Kyle Whittingham. That he's I know, 29 so I out terrified. of 30. Yeah. 29 yeah. out of his last 30 in Rice Eccles. Um, 
You mentioned it's. I think we should see a really clean game. Like you mentioned, Utah, you know, getting some force. So Oregon has one turnover on the season. Utah has four. <laughs> like they're two of the. Like that's insane. That we're all yes. like we're almost in November, and Oregon's only turned it off once. The good thing about Utah, they've only turned it over four times. They're still they're not, they're third in the country in turnovers. So they're both of these teams are kind of playing very true. I think that's a huge. Bo Nix impact, like veteran quarterback, knows he's not going to make the big mistake. It's also a credit to Bucky Irving and everybody who carries the ball as well. But Utah plays right into their identity. Um, I think this is a Kyle Whittingham special where you try to you try to run the football, you stay committed to Quinton Jackson, you let Bars, uh, Bryson Barnes, by the way, you mentioned it, bud, the last two games now, they're starting to utilize his legs a little bit more. They're starting to realize, oh, we don't, we don't need to go to Nate Johnson to bring him in to try to run the football. Let's just run our system with Bryson Barnes. He's coming off his best rushing and passing performance of the year. I I think this game's going to be really, really physical. I think it's going to be interesting, and I think this is when we find out. Like, if Oregon wins and covers, it's like an emphatic, all right, this team this – because I – even after watching the Washington-Oregon game, I kind of liked Oregon in a rematch. Like, man, I can't wait to get there. I hope they're a dog against Washington and Vegas in the Big Tw- uh, Pac-12 championship game. I think they'd win a rematch. Then I go watch this one. I'm like, well, they got to get through this one first. Bo Nix on the road. He was fine. It wasn't his fault against Washington. But this is a tough environment. Also, uh, last year in this matchup, they picked off Cam Rising three times. Like, I don't think they'll subject – like, Bryson Barnes, I don't think he's going to make that many mistakes – either i'm glad you mentioned last year because that's one thing that stood out to me because they're you know the question is like would oregon be ready to play a utah style of game they won a utah style of game 20 to 17 last year leaning on the defense playing a little bit of a rock fight It, it is for dan lanning and his staff and the returning players from that ducks team something that they are comfortable doing and they have that experience of being able to beat utah in a utah style game the problem being that was Eugene, and this is Rice-Eccles Stadium where we are just disrespecting Utah and their incredible home field advantage time and time again. Going back to your point on turnovers, Danny, <clears throat> you mentioned how it's remarkable that Oregon only has one and Utah has four at this point of the season. You know what makes it more remarkable? Utah's lost one fumble this year. Do you know how many times Utah's fumbled? Ten times. So it's mostly been fumble luck for the Utes. It's not like you can't force the turnover. They have dropped the ball. They have just been extremely good or lucky, whatever you want to prefer, to get back on the ball. So like this is a team, they do put the ball at at risk. But if you're not in the open field and you fumble, then a teammate's probably nearby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, one more that we want to hit before we get out of here. The Buckeyes coming off that big win against Penn State. Now they're on the road taking on a Wisconsin team that is at a little bit of an impasse, right? You know, we we mentioned the egregious Johnny Newton ejection and how that changed the outcome of Illinois and Wisconsin. But that win for the Badgers, being able to get it done with Braylon Allen running right at where Johnny Newton was, um, has them still in that Big Ten West title race. And when you're welcoming Ohio State to Madison, uh, Luke Fickle, his own relationship with Ohio State, a lot of interesting dynamics here. Uh, Right now, betting line is around 14 and a half or so with some time to to sort of repair things. And Danny, you mentioned that in our long list of things that we thought would happen that haven't really played out, 
you know, the Wisconsin offense is a part of that. Badgers defense, though, has been really solid. What do you think Wisconsin, what are the keys to Wisconsin being able to put a scare in the Buckeyes on Saturday? Uh, find a way to slow down number 18 for Ohio State. That's pretty simple, right? And it's easier said than done. Um, you know, slow down, try to put more of the game on Kyle McCord's shoulders, uh, who is very inconsistent at times. But, man, he's found a way to make the right plays. I was wondering if I was being too hard on Kyle McCoy, like uh, Kyle McCord asking him to do more. So he has 12 touchdowns, one interception on the year through seven games. Uh, so I went back and looked up. Now, because the bar that has been set by Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, it's a really high bar, right? Mm-hmm. So through seven games last year, C.J. Stroud had 28 touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, it's just it's impossible to ask him to try to maintain that type of pace. Um, but I do think like that's your best chance of success. I also think you got to get Braylon Allen going, but like. Penn State struggled to run with two backs who are, you know, two of the best in the Big Ten. I don't I don't love Wisconsin's chance in this matchup unless they can force Kyle McCord into some mistakes and a pick six, something like that, some interceptions, but he's been pretty good with the football. I just I don't love their chances. Here's my big prediction for this game. Michael Hall is going to have a huge game for the Buckeyes. Because as you were talking about, Chip, what I saw last week, what Johnny Newton was able to do to the interior of this Wisconsin offensive line, I think Michael Hall, who plays in the same spot with the same kind of pass rushing ability, is going to be an absolute game wrecker for the Buckeyes in this one. And he's going to be helped by the fact that, you know, he's got Jack Sawyer to his right. He's got Tui Malau to his left. They're already very good up front, but Michael Hall, I think, is going to have his best game of the year. And Danny, you mentioned like Penn State struggled to run against Ohio State, even though it has two of the best backs in the Big Ten, Penn State struggled to run all year. That was nothing new. I I think Wisconsin will struggle the same way too because their offensive line for a Wisconsin offensive line, it's pretty mid. Like I I don't think there's anything spectacular about it. I don't think there's anybody on it who particularly stands out as being very good. The question for me for Ohio State's defense, though, or not even a question, it's just what they're going to have to do is they got to keep Eichenberg and Steel Chambers clean because if they do then they'll be able to make the tackle on Braylon Allen. But if they can't, if, if Wisconsin is able to get to the second level, Braylon Allen could eat because I don't think Eichenberg and Chambers have been great at getting off blocks this year when you get to them. So that's going to be something to watch. On the other side, nobody can cover Marvin Harrison. That's really, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it comes down to. But I, I texted you guys this during the week as I was rewatching the Illinois-Wisconsin game. Ricardo Hallman for Wisconsin, their corner, is like legit. He is very good, and he is going to be the guy that is probably on Marvin 90% of the time in this game. The problem for Hallman is Marvin's 6'4", Ricardo's 5'10". So as good as he is, and as good as he is, his ability to match and mirror guys, it's probably not going to matter because of the size difference, because McCord will be able to throw it up, and Marvin will be able to go get it, and Hallman just won't be able to compete with him. The The interesting aspect, or where I'd be super concerned if I'm Wisconsin, is if Ekbuka's back and you've got Hallman on on Harrison, there's nobody else in this Wisconsin secondary that's going to be able to cover Ekbuka. So I would expect him to have a huge game if he's back. And the other interesting thing here, or at least the other key thing for me here, is the same thing that has been Ohio State's bugaboo all year long, the red zone woes. They are averaging 4.2 points per red zone possession. That ranks 83rd nationally. But the good news is Wisconsin's red zone defense 
ranks 92nd nationally in red zone efficiency. So we've got a real battle of a team that can't score versus a defense that can't stop you from scoring in the red zone. But the, the, another aspect of this that I think is also kind of important to note, Devin Brown's not playing. In recent weeks, we have seen Ohio State use Devin Brown in the red zone. He's only got one touchdown. He should have two. He fumbled at the goal line on one of them. But I thought that having him in there was an improvement for their offense because it opened things up, whereas defenses weren't able to just kind of pack in and stop the run game because Ohio State doesn't run the ball well all year. But adding Brown instead of McCord, who nobody really cares about as a runner, opened things up, and I thought they were having more success with that. So with Brown not available for this game and them not being able to go to that, it could be a more interesting matchup because while Wisconsin's DTs aren't exactly what I would call stellar like they're good they're mostly just big and they kind of get in the way so that could be a problem again for ohio state in this game we were so i was standing right there in the goal line on the like right on the run he got absolutely wrecked Mm -hmm. i thought he had it was his leg but i thought like you could hear it was one of those ones where you could hear the hit and your field level i mean he got absolutely wrecked how bad do we think wisconsin is with this backup I don't think it's that much of a drop-off, honestly. It wasn't that bad. No, yeah, the kid's got some zip. I, I was I was watching his clips when they played Wisconsin when Mordecai got hurt, trying to figure out you know if, if I was going to bet uh, bet Illinois or not. And actually, one or two, and then somebody grabbed the three before, before I could get it. So I guess they kind of saved me there. He wasn't that bad against Iowa in like pretty crazy conditions. Mm-hmm. Now that you have more film on him, maybe Ohio State sees some things that he doesn't do well or that maybe Wisconsin has not asked him to do, and maybe Ohio State will read into that and say, yeah, they haven't asked him to do this yet. I wonder why. Maybe in practice he is not very good at doing that. We, we get 12 versions of a team every year. Like, what? Why is this one of the versions of Ohio State that's going to be amazing? You're coming off the Penn State game, which was a really physical, hard-fought game, now you have to go on the road and lay more than two touchdowns. I mean, Lions 14 and a half painted everywhere. I don't know. Like maybe Wisconsin is that bad and they just don't have players. But you got to think you're going to get a really good effort at home from Wisconsin. Can can Ohio State match that energy? Right? Do they not give up a cheapy touchdown or two? Like if they match the energy, I mean, Wisconsin will get some points because they play super tempo, but ultimately they're not going to score enough. If Ohio State sleepwalks it, like we could have a game in the second half. I would not be surprised. Last last week lost a bunch of heavy favorites coming off. And I thought the bye week might settle it a little bit for OU Texas because both of those teams coming off that game struggled. But they were all over the place. Washington, I mean, the hangover effect is real. The environment's not the same. The energy, the physicality, it's a great point. I could see it being... um, a game in the second half, to your point, bud, but you're ultimately going to be asking Wisconsin to make plays against a defense that I think is outstanding. So, you know, can I imagine Wisconsin as a money line sprinkle? Probably not. But could I imagine this being an ugly walk through it and get out with a seven to 10 point win situation for Ohio State? Definitely. I mean, hey, you've got number 18. Guess Wisconsin doesn't have number 18. Wisconsin, I mean, most teams don't have number eighteen, but they at least have the uh, the easy button as we uh, as as we've come to know him. One one final thing, yes, possible prop bet out there if you can find it. 
if you can get a cage Stover receiving yard prop, probably go over because my feeling is they're going to try to get him on Wisconsin's Jake Cheney as much as possible. And I think Stover will absolutely roast him in that matchup. Been liking Stover as a big part of this offense. Coming up on the other side, before the season, you probably rode with us, right? We got in all of our win totals locks. So how are they looking as we sit here on October 25th? Plus, thank you to the Cover 3 tailgate for reminding us. Some picks for Wednesday night football. Next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Wednesday night, Cayusa. First, we got it at 7 p.m. You can watch it on the CBS Sports Network, Jacksonville State, taking their 6-2 and two record, 4-1 and one in conference play on the road to FIU. Jacksonville State, a nine-point road favorite. Then UTEP travels to Sam Houston. Bearcats with a K, still looking for their first win of the season. And they are a capital F favorite of a field goal and a hook over under there at 37 Anybody got any uh, any leans or locks or picks or thoughts on the Wednesday night conference USA action? Two. One, my Twitter tip is the Sam Houston money line. Tonight is the night. They're the only winless team remaining in the FBS. Tonight is the night we run out of winless teams. They are going to win. And two, if you can find a prop on FIU turnovers, take the over. Whoopsie daisy, kings <laughs> of college football. Um, I don't have any strong bets tonight on this. If I had to play them for like pick and pull purposes, or if you're just an action junkie, I guess lay it with Jack State. I I am shooting for a middle here. I, I have over 47 and under 49 and a half in that one. So hoping it lands 48 or 49. Um, UTEP, I, I bet some over 36 earlier in the week, but that I, 37 is is pretty key. So no no thank you there. Uh, at, at the current price, I don't know. Like, do you go back to the Sam Houston? Well, UTEP looked like horrendous, and Sam Houston, on a down to down basis, did outplay FIU despite the fact that that it lost. This is probably its best chance to get a, a win this year. So maybe you get a home run effort, but I didn't like the vibes at the end of the game. So no, nothing serious for me. Nothing, Danny. Except I am serious that, that I hope it lands 48 or 49. That, that would be- <laughs> yeah, I'm very, serious about this. Yeah. very, very specific score. 28-21. Do it for Bud. All right. So at the beginning of the season, we all got together, and we unloaded 
a ton of win totals locks. So we always like at this point in the year to uh, take a look at how everything is doing. Um, you know, get get some thoughts on you know where everyone is at. So we start with where our two lock infinity plays. The first of which being Oklahoma State over six and a half. As we currently sit here on October twenty fifth, Oklahoma State is five and two. Do we think that the Cowboys will close this thing out finishing seven and five or better? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Vanderbilt over three and a half. As we sit here on October twenty fifth, Vanderbilt is two and six. Are we confident that Vanderbilt will get two more wins? I still believe yes. Who are they coming against? Yeah. Tennessee. (laughs) You want to go that far? Tennessee and uh, I don't know if they play. (laughs) Still on the schedule. They're definitely. They're going to. They're going to. Auburn Auburn and South Carolina. There you go. You you get Auburn at home and, uh, and at South Carolina. Like. Those are so possible. Yeah, they're not probable. They're going to finish five and seven. Look, Let's they'll go. be less than a two touchdown dog at South Carolina, I think, unless South Carolina gets a lot healthier. And they won't be a massive dog at home to Auburn just because the way Auburn scores, like they, they can't be like 20 at home to Auburn. I mean, they, they, what were they against Georgia? 31? Mm-hmm. And Georgia's like 18 on a neutral against Auburn, right? They've gone in different directions, and that game closed 14. So you, you kind of back it out. Like they, they had him as 18 on a, on a neutral prior. So like they're going to be less than a two touchdown dog at home against Auburn. It's not likely that Vanderbilt hits four wins here, but I think it is somewhat likely that they do win one more game this year. Um, Danny, you've got 14 uh, win totals locks on the board. <laughs> Uh, I'll let you. I'll let you choose uh, a play you're confident in. I mean, I guess our Oklahoma under th- Colorado under three and a half is de- that's that one's yeah, dead. That's a loser. That's a, that's loser, a loser already. Right. So uh, that uh, was off the board uh, early ones, this season. Although if I lose seven four and a half, I might play the under. If I if I get one more game, I might take the under. Uh, Auburn is an interesting one because we were talking about Vanderbilt has them on their schedule. If I need Auburn to go over, I need them to win that game. But I still think Auburn's schedule remaining. Mississippi State at home, Vanderbilt Road at Arkansas. That's a serious vibe check game for Arkansas, New Mexico State, Bama. I think they could still uh I think they get there. I think they get uh the wins they need to get home. So I what feel are you like- not confident in? What are you looking at right now? And you're uh, like, oh god, no way that's gonna hit. Um it's a good question. Which one was I looking at? Pit um, over seven is probably not going to happen. Yeah, Danny, yeah. I was, that's that's my pit over seven. Or Arizona State, Arizona State over four and a half might be the worst one of all time. <laughs> that's going to miss my two potentially three games. Actually, I think my Clemson over ten is dead in the water for me. Um, and then pit over seven will be very very soon. No way that we're going to be able to hit that. West Virginia under five and a half. Um, that one, whoopsie daisy. Uh, but I'm loving my little lock fight with uh, Bud Elliott. Oklahoma over nine and a half, uh, but on the under. Still a lot of time left, a lot of games left. But that Texas game was a it was a big one in being able to decide between ten and two at worst or nine and three. I really don't see a way that Oklahoma loses three more times. I mean, it normally like like in, in a desperate situation like this, the only way you could actually project it, which of course knock on wood doesn't happen, would be QB injury. But I've max confidence that even if they had to play the backup, Arnold, like they would still go ten and two. 
So um, I, I think this is done. Chip, Chip, you got me. All right, Tom. What's uh, what what stands out from uh, from your board? Michigan State's dead. Um, I think Illinois is dead. I think they can get to six and six, but I I don't think they're winning out to get to seven and five. Uh, North Carolina under dead. NC State over dead. Yeah, it's a it's a bloodbath. All it's right, crazy but- that North Carolina under is dead, given that they just lost to Virginia. <laughs> like what a weird season. That's true. It could still happen. Fingers crossed. Eight and four. Here we come. I believe North Carolina's record against Georgia Tech in Atlanta is two and ten in the last twelve times that oh, the Tar Heels yeah. have made the trip down there. That's I don't know if they here. like lemon pepper wings or you know, there's something else about ATL <laughs> that uh, that gets gets them all twisted up. But it's it's been a house of horrors for the Tar Heels. That's for sure. Uh, Bud, what else stands out to you? Um. Man, if Iowa doesn't hit this over for me, over eight, I'm, I'm going to be pretty annoyed. But it's certainly possible that Iowa doesn't win another game. Uh, so I, I I think they will. Like, But I, now I think they're probably just going to push it. I, I don't think they're going to slip up just you know one more time De- with, with that offense. little annoyed with UCLA. Uh, now that they have a different quarterback, they seem to be just operating fine. I, I, man, I still like that, that bet preseason, but they're not going to go over eight and a half. I don't anticipate – Charlotte got a nice win for me. UVA is making me sweat a little bit on that UVA under three and a half. Yeah. Now that they beat UNC. Um, like FSU over still. Definitely mm-hmm. like Florida over still. They just need to get that one in the swamp against Arkansas or pull an upset. I, I think it'll be a profitable card. Looking like ECU under, I think, is already, already good. Louisiana under will be a sweat. Charlotte over three, probably going to be a push, but could be a sweat. Yeah, last year uh, our, our win totals records were eight and three, six and two, four, four and one, and twelve and four. Um, just you know, winners across the board. It does seem to be one place that, while there are highs and lows to the week to week locks, we do seem to uh, do our homework and uh, and help it pay off. Yeah, that that yeah, pit over Clemson. I even threw those in at the very end. That was just reckless. Auburn so, over ain't happening. I don't, I don't think. By the way, yeah, I don't. I don't think the Auburn over is happening either. But uh, yeah, anything else? No, I'm just looking at my Stanford over and getting pissed off about the Sacramento <laughs> State game because that should have already cashed. Yeah, that's. I mean, you you never count out a yellow jacket. Wait, aren't they a yellow jacket? A hornet. Hornets. Right? Yeah, hornets. Never count out a hornet. They're relentless. Tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time, the very best time of the week. We all gather together, cover three tailgate fills up. We give you our locks for the upcoming weekend. So come hang out and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you. Exclusively on Paramount Plus. Cindy, 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 Cindy Lauper. Catch the new documentary critics are calling a revelation. She's gonna fight the fight. As Cindy Lauper reveals, in her own words, the inspiration behind her biggest hits. If you're doing what you love. 
magic. See what shaped music's most authentic superstar. When you're that different, you view other people as having a problem. Catch Cindy Lauper, Let the Canary Sing. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it for free. Terms apply.